Hello, friend. Welcome to the Watery Desho podcast. We are so happy to have the pleasure of your company. If this is your first time listening, sit back, relax. We hope you enjoy. If you are coming back because you enjoy our content and you'd like to support us, you can go to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Desho. We've got all kinds of fun rewards and bonus content like early access, Discord roles, additional audio and video content, all in three budget-friendly tiers. If you're not able to support us financially, no biggie. We totally understand. If you'd like to help us out uh, for free, you can always give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which helps our discoverability. You can follow us on SoundCloud, on Twitter, at WaterWeDeshow. You can always send us an email at WaterWeDeshow at gmail.com if you want to correspond with us. We may not get to read every correspondence on the show, but I can promise you that we do read and try to respond to every single one because we do love our community, which we hope you'll be a part of. Thank you for your kind attention, friend. And without further ado, let's get to the show. Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, MBs, and, you know, for those of you in the audience who are not lip readers, we're finally actually, you know, back. Um, maybe I should learn sign language next time. I'll start holding up cue cards. But yeah, after more OBS nonsense, this is Warridesho's stream of thought covering Vinland Saga, episode 20, The Crown. Oh, crowning achievement of our day is actually even getting this damn thing running because OBS has just been, well, there's two letters in it that you can probably pluck out and probably, sub- you know... Oh. accurately describe how I feel about it right now. So thank you very much for everyone for your patience. We what are now nightmare. finally live. What, what a, a load of what a load of OBS, am man. I right? Like or just OBS. Just I it it really is my fault, I think, in hindsight, for not so this machine was upgraded to Win 10. It had mm-hmm. been on Win 7 and when I opened up OBS everything looked the same. But it was, I had to go in and re-enable the mics. And also, before this, it took me forever to fi- to to figure out that I had to change, I had to uncheck a box in Discord. It had nothing to do with OBS, mm. but its compatibility, I guess, with Discord and Win10. I had to change one setting to get it to show our faces and not, again, of the void, the, the black square, so... Well, I do my best work in the black square anyway, so That's there right. you go. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I should get back on that for the future. Members anyway, of the black uh, square house. We are indeed back. We're going to be covering episode 20 today, finally talking about it. Uh, and we know with things getting more and more real as Vinland Saga continues, which is, like I say, a bit of a strange statement to make considering things have been getting real ever since the beginning of the show. Like, I don't think it's ever really stopped. But plenty of players, you know, all assembled on the same board and things get dicey. So we'll be talking about that soon. Of course, we're covering previous polls, Patreon questions, all the usual good stuff you've come to expect from us. So with that in mind, actually, might as well get started with the polls from previous. So let's go back to episode 19 just last week and see what we've got to talk about. It feels so long ago already last week. <laughs> God, so much has happened in my I, life. I grew older in that time. <laughs> you did. I, I, I aged a year in a single day. It's miraculous. Um, 
PlayStation turning 25 years old, by the way. It's going to catch up to you one day. It will surpass you. It will be all, somehow be older than you. It has, uh, technically, I think your average PlayStation has more hair than me. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> like the, Thank you, Master. The, the dog hair that it accidentally vacuums up with the fan. Yeah, pretty um, much. Yeah. Okay, so here are our polls uh, from last week. Uh, episode 1, or sorry, episode 19, poll 1. I can't believe we did this poll. <laughs> Could Doc pass the Turing I knew test? that was coming. I knew that was coming. I couldn't wait for it. Uh, nope. How do you feel about these answers? <laughs> nope, lol, is an 89%. I'm... Oh. You know, I can roll with most things, honestly, so I'm good with it. I could... I could easily be mildly insulted by this, but I'm I'm gonna... I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna be to, chill to, about it. To be fair, it, I think... As I a think, good I think robot pa- would do. I, I think you passed it because of the OBS issues. Like, you sh- you know... If you were, uh, you know, a robot, you'd have had it figured immediately, and then you would have, would have got going. So yeah. I think no, you, you, I think you are indeed a human. You're regular flesh and blood. That's that is a relief, I think. Uh, for now, we'll see in about uh, I don't know, twenty, thirty years, whether or not I wish that I were a robot. The way, <laughs> the way humanity's future is going. Uh, on that bright note, poll two. Uh, what are the? This odds? is about my future. As it happens, <laughs> uh-huh. what are the odds of Shadon waking up on the roof of his house after getting obliterated on booze the night before? Sixty-seven percent say one, one hundred percent. The remaining say ninety-nine. So I'm I'm glad a third of you out there thought that at least there was a sliver of hope for me not embarrassing myself because of alcohol. But I think that the other two thirds of you probably know me better than I know myself. So. I could take that. I could roll with the punches. Or the punch, rather, I suppose. So you're telling me there's a chance. Uh, poll number That's three. Poll number three. If Thorkel ever found out about Thor's perspective on what it means to be a true warrior, how would he react? This is a three-choice poll. The winner of the majority with 52% is, given time, he'd be okay. Mm-hmm. 29% say he'd lose his shit. And <laughs> 19% say he'd jump right on board. I I favor the first answer, the, the most common one there, which is that <laughs> given time, he would probably be okay yeah. with it, but he certainly would not be happy with it in the first instance. I mean, we saw enough evidence of him in the previous episode, just completely and utterly, like, he can't process it. File not found, 404. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what the hell you're talking about, Fors. But I reckon given time you'll do it. Farkel is many things, but an idiot he is not, in my opinion. Yeah. Simple, but simple doesn't mean stupid. No. Um, so, yeah, I think I would agree that he'd be okay, but I mean, I think there's a reason why Canute sent him to the bar instead of took him to the throne room. <laughs> this and I, will, I will get to that reason, actually. That's going to be one of my talking points as it happens. Poll four, when uh, Ashy Lad asked... Uh, or when he said he once played Shogi, he really meant (laughs) (laughs) League of Legends wins the poll with 45%. That's what Mm -hmm. he definitely meant. I agree. Yeah, Um, I would agree. Chess, 32, Monopoly, 23, and Mahjong got zero votes. Um, I guess he's not a fan of the new Guilty Gear then, which was described as being like Mahjong. Oh, sad. Oh, I'm getting my top... That's by the game's creator. 
by the way. Oh, really? So okay. Yeah, he said he wants to be more like Majongs and more look based. So obviously that's gone down real well. Just like the Hindenburg. Ooh, that is that what he said? Well. Luck that he yeah. used the words. Oh. Yeah, I want a Vice Games to be more look based. That's um, that's a road you could take when developing a game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you if you're developing a card game or a gacha, exactly. Like it's a it's a move away from you guys, the the FGC hardcore audience that values skill and execution immensely. Mm-hmm. So. We've discussed this on the After Hours podcast. Do feel free mm-hmm. to check that out. Uh, it's actually the publicly available number one. So give that a look. Um, oh boy. Yeah, one more Mahjong poll. Discussion. Okay. One more poll. Uh, well, moving away from Mahjong. Poll five. <laughs> Yukinon can't escape. Uh, oh, Grizzly. Hello. Welcome back. It's been a minute. How are you? Um, mm-hmm. Been a minute since I've seen you in chat, I should say. I don't know if you've been. Uh, Vodding or not, but hello, hi. Given his past duplicity, should Canute have killed Askeladd at the end of the episode rather than making him his vassal? 91%. Huge landslide victory here for Ooh. Nah, he can be trusted, which I think... I don't know if I would go with either of these answers, honestly. Uh, hell yes being the other 9% vote, but... Boy, uh, I mean, Askeladd certainly proves his worth in this episode again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's so but, he's useful. But he, well, I'll get to it. But there's a reason that his arm, like his bracelet, his arm wrist thing, is a snake. I mean, I've described him as such before, and it's like that old saying of you know, can leopards change spots? Can scorpions ever not sting someone? Just saying. All right, so that brings us to the end of the polls. Thank you very much to everyone who took part in those. We'll be doing more as the uh, stream goes along, so do feel free to check that out on Twitter at Warrior Dare Show. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. I think scorpions can not sting someone, right? I mean... Well, I mean, when I say that, I mean they've got the built-in feature. You can't yeah. take that away from a yeah. scorpion. That's it, more the thing. It sounded like they were just driven by a mad impulse to sting all, like everyone <laughs> all the time. Rather that you know what I mean? It's like, oh, there's a person there. I could scurry I start, to save yeah, them, or I could go right, sting them. <laughs> but I wouldn't start tickling one either, if I'm quite honest. <laughs> I know, of course. Coochie, coochie, coo. Yeah, that's good. Badly. All right. Anyway, uh, yes, uh, let's get started on talking about episode 20, which is Crown. So, if you missed out on like everything that's happened in Vinland Saga thus far, I'll just sum up basically by saying that Canute has finally like grown his balls. He is now... Basically running the shop. And we start off with everyone's favorite, you know, uh, like, what I was going to say, he looks like Street Fighter 4's Guile if he's, like, aged 50 years. Uh, that'd be <laughs> Floki, of very course. Very old Guile. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, his theme ain't playing right here because while he's, you know, uh, sawing out his, his men, uh, Canute just strolls up and Floki's like, no, that's impossible. He can't have, like, you know, tamed for Kel. And then we have this amazing comedic shot of, you know, that's impossible. So we're going, <gasps> what a great reaction shot that was. Incredible. Yeah. And indeed, Canute uh, uh, has arrived with uh, Forkel and Asclad and Forfin and all of Forkel's men who are now working for him because Canute is just, that's just how he rolls now. He's got the silver tongue, you know, he's, roll, he's put all his points in charisma and he's cashing in now. 
Uh, this includes, by the way, an amazing smug face from Askeladd, who we might all remember as the man whom Floki ordered to kill Thor's. So this is all like a really twisted, like, uh, reunion. Or, you know, if this were in a court, it'd be like watching Tremendous. a murder trial play out, pretty much. <laughs> Uh, but Askeladd, of course, who also, by the way, I should note, uh, we're going to find out, um, I think it might have been actually in the previous episode, but we like learned, of course, that Bjorn was doing pretty badly. Askeladd is back to full health in a very short amount of time, which is very impressive. I will give him that. Because I, like, had him marked as being a dead man or a cripple, but, well, I guess, you know, like, he certainly wasn't going to retire to be a guard in one of Skyrim's capital cities after taking so many arrows to the knee and all that. He's done all right for himself as Askeladd. Uh, but indeed, uh, Knut tastefully tells Folky, look, right, I'm here to see the king. Are you really going to get tell your men to raise arms against a member of the royal bloodline? Let me go. Report accurately. Don't fuck about. Because, again, Knut, he's in charge now. He's loud and he's proud and he's going to tell you about it. So, we, of course, arrive in the village. And this is where uh, Knut gives Forkel a task, which we will talk about in great detail later. The task being that he wants Forkel to, you know, cozy up to all the... Uh, the warriors, the soldiers, and particularly the captains, generals, etc. of the army, and just try and impress them and get them on Canute's side. Uh, which I'll say right now, without going into great detail later about the thing I really want to talk about, if you need any proof that Canute is actually legitimately really, really smart and knows his stuff, that is a genius move. But I will again elaborate yeah. on that later. Um, so yeah, he sends Farkel off with, uh, Ar I think it's Ardi, I believe it is. Um, his name is mentioned later. I can't remember. His... It's either Ardy or Arley. It's this, not Ardy uh, because that's a that's a shitty uh, supermarket in the UK. Atley is the the guy who betrayed Ascalad with the brother. I think most. I think I think you know, like betraying Ascalad is just like you know. <laughs> Sorry, a, that's a, a part, that's not a, a good a descriptor. <laughs> it's a participation badge you got in that battle. You know, it's like appearing to at a sports event without even taking part. You still won something, <laughs> right? Right. So yeah, Atley is one of the the bros. Uh, he's, he sends Thorkel off with, I think Thorkel's own second in command, right? To go to mm -hmm. the, the bar. And, uh, you know, maybe... He's also the brother of the gentleman who blue screened previously as well. <laughs> no, 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 no. So that's a different guy. They just Is look... It? Yeah, so like the Thorkel second in command with the long, straight hair is I think who he went with. And Atlee no, that, that no, that's the No, that's definitely... I'm fairly certain that's the same guy, but we'll figure it out later. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so they get sent off, and of course that just leaves Thorfinn, for, uh, not Thorkel, sorry, Askeladd and Canute to go visit his father. And that's going to be a wonderful family reunion, as we've all established previously. So, oh, so they, of course, they enter the throne room. Uh, by the way, I want to give real props to the lighting and the music that goes with this. Yeah. Everything's in really drowned out, like dark charcoal kind of colours. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, the music really helps sell the building tension. Because obviously, like, Thorfinn and Askeladd are not idiots. They recognize um, that there are indeed soldiers both in the actual uh, room itself and also on the uh, balconies above archers waiting to kill them all. So they know that they're in for a real bad time. But Canute points out that this is not necessarily going to be a test of martial prowess, but rather a game of wits, if you will. Like, a chat, like challenge through words and uh, and such a game of wits or no don't game do of... it don't do it Thrones? i mean i've made the, i've made the, i've made the red wedding joke many times before already on this 
God damn it. <laughs> it was inevitable. I mean, come I know. on. There's the, the crown is center frame in this one. And indeed, the way it's held actually does look like the, uh, I think, one of the earlier posters from the HBO mm-hmm. series. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Canute goes up to his dad. Uh, and he explains what happened with losing all of his men and such. Um, by the way, Asgard gets a good look at the king, and we do too at this point. And I'll say this, being a king, uh, it's not done him much good. He looks like he's seen better days, let's put it that way. But, well, you know, that's something I'll talk about again when we get to the talking points later about how, uh, you know, King Sewin is... Well, I called him a Danish jabber, and I think that probably still stands... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. man who is um well if so if he's danish java then who is um god damn it is it it's not salacious crumb is it who's the little weird creature that hangs out that's with salacious is that salacious uh, okay yeah I, there isn't really an equivalent salacious i would say there isn't really an equivalent i'd say so i'm just gonna go with floki on this one <laughs> I, I agree i'm just i'm, I'm just gonna go with floki for the yeah. salacious crumb um, but anyway, after introducing everyone, of course, and all of the revelations about um, what's happened, uh, Canute also informs his father that Ragnar is dead. And his father, well, he might as well have just been told that, you know, he just lost his pocket change that he was given to go to the shops with, for all that it seems to matter. He was a good servant. Not, oh, my my son, whom I never really raised as my own, uh, his surrogate father is dead. I think that might be, you know, quite bad for him. Um, he don't care. But... But he don't give two shits. Uh, but saying like, he may be many things, and he certainly is a monster, arguably, mm-hmm. but he's not an idiot, and he isn't a fool. Uh, he recognises in Canute the change that has come over him. And this then leads into a discussion between him about how Canute says, well, children, you know, they learn from their fathers uh, by seeing what they do. We get a really, really nice Kuleshov insert shot, by the way, of Thorfinn looking up when that is said, which, again depending on who you determine to be his father or father's quote-unquote, helps inform who he is here because, it's again, we're seeing parallels between him and Canute. Um, but this is the point where Seren lays out the uh, his rise to power, uh, even taking the crown off for a little bit, saying that he did what he took the crown from him, basically overthrew him through force, because he believed it was the best for his kingdom. Um but this then leads into a discussion about the crown having a will of its own and a kind mm-hmm. of power. Uh, not but a literal power, by the way. We're not saying this isn't like, you know, the Lich King from World of Warcraft, where the crown actually does have an actual tangible power to it. Um, but it, like, you know, has a will of its own and compels him to do things as he puts it. In other words, take actions in line with what he thinks is best for the royalty rather than what is best necessarily for himself as a family member and such. And he also mentions, of course, the responsibility that comes with, like, compel- like commanding armies and such. Um, and he says that the crown does not actually want Canoe at all. Uh, which, we'll get into the nitty-gritty of this later, but I think there's quite a lot of telling uh, thing about how maybe this is not necessarily strictly true, but rather an excuse he might be telling himself. Uh, you know, to do what he needs to do. But that's the point, of course, where he signals mm-hmm. the men to come in and go and, you know, make pincushions out of them all. And as good as Asgard and Thorfinn are, they are surrounded by spearmen and archers on balconies. I think the odds are... Maybe they could take half of them, you know? But then again, I think Asgard has turned into Wolverine given his, you know, ability to heal from grievous wounds like he has, so maybe he would do okay. Um, 
So the king offers him uh, a part of Cornwall, which if I were being a troll like he, uh, he was, I would probably say, like, by Cornwall, I mean a Cornish pasty, of course. You get that and, and nothing else, just the one pasty. Uh, mm. But Hugo, and, you know, if you refuse that, we'll kill you. But otherwise... Oh. Okay. I've been hearing about this. I, I'm a filthy, uncultured American. You're just, yeah, pretty pa- much. Pasty. I've heard people talk about pasties for some reason lately. Mm-hmm. What is a pasty? Describe what is a pasty? the pasty. Okay, so a pasty, or a pastry, if you want to call it that, uh, is, mm. in Britain, it is a usually a parcel of puff pastry, uh, like you find in pies, mm-hmm. uh, that wraps over a uh, usually meat and sauce filling. So you can have, for example, chicken and mushroom, where it's chicken, mushroom, and white sauce. Uh, Cornish, if I recall correctly, is potato and something else. I don't recall. I don't usually eat them myself. And so on and so forth. That kind of thing. Okay, so what is what is a good kind of pasty that you like? Uh, chicken and mushroom is usually pretty decent. Is this the point where like all of our fans are going to send me boxes upon boxes of them for Christmas, and then next episode I'm going to have like tons and tons of boxes in the background here of chicken pasties? Send them to me. I've never had them. You can just go eat them. I don't. I don't have any place near me that's like ralph's pasty shop you know what i mean or anything like i don't uh know i mean you've yeah you're, you're stuck with arby's you poor bastard <laughs> arby's a, can is it not the same thing as a calzone no uh because a calzone is a uh, is uh baked from dough calzone is folded pizza and this is pastry which is a different thing how exactly how are they not both dough well, the, well, the pastry itself like is already pre-sheeted, um, so you layer it over. I don't know. I, mm. I I miss my calling as a baker, so I don't remember the exact <laughs> process made, but it's definitely not the same as calzone. Please, and I know that much. Please write in, <laughs> explain oh, the pasty God. to me, um, and tell me where I can get good ones in America if they exist. All right, carry on. I will. Uh, so, after all that. Canute's like, he's done his best to try and out-talk his father, but his father's had enough, and he's called, you know, for swords to be drawn. Um, but Askeladd then intervenes, uh, pointing out that you do realise that this kid, this kid who you previously wrote off as a wimp, was able to talk down for Kel and get him on his side, and therefore has left London defenceless, because it was, of course, for Kel who was doing that, really, playing battleships, as he were. Like, does that not deserve leniency or even a reward for this kind of competence? Like, your generals and your men would find it a bit strange that you ended up, you know, murdering your son who was able to convince this great warrior to fight for him. Better, you know, to keep him alive because he clearly serves some use. And obviously, Asclad is also then pleading for their lives as well, although I reckon if, you know, Forfin was on the chopping block potentially as, like, you know, if you get to pick two or three of us to live, he probably... Yeah, off you go, Blondie. Off you go. Blondie? But, yeah, They're Blondie. Blonde. They, they are, yes. Um, but Sarin Light decides, hey, you're an interesting fellow. What's your name again? And he says, Asclad. He says, oh, the one covered in ashes. Uh, which, by the way, does not make Asclad Kratos from God of War. Just to point that out, he is not the ghost of Sparta. Although, then again, given how you know he heals so quickly, maybe that is possible. But in turn, uh, he says, well, what's your real name? And Askeladd's like, I never, my father never gave me one. And Sarid, like, being the massive prick that he is, says, 
Oh, I see. I guess that, you know, it must have been one of the serving girls or the slaves that he ended up sleeping with and forced to have, you know, to have your child. And of course, we all remember that Askeladd's like probably one defining trait above all else is how much he loves his mother and how much her death and like through her, like the way Wales has been treated by the Danes, no less, uh, is like left him really, really like he's got a hate boner for them. So he is absolutely fuming and credit to the artist here for delivering again. In fact, all across this episode, the facial expressions are incredible. The level of detail here is really on show. They definitely put some money into this one, which was really, really nice. But yeah, Askeladd is fuming. He is absolutely livid. And even Thorfinn can see this. Like, we've certainly seen Askeladd, like, you know, get heated and all that, but he's never lost his cool. And he doesn't really hear either, I would Almost. argue. But he, <laughs> but you could sense that he is that close to snapping, like, an overly wound, like, guitar string. You could, like, uh, cook an egg on his back. Oh, God, yes. Boiling. <laughs> All right. Great. So, in in the meantime, though, um, the king, like, says, okay, fair play. I'll uh, I'll let you all live. Uh, you, you know, we're going to set sail for York in a bit. We're going to head over there. Um, and Canute says, better that we just, you know, hang tight for a little bit until the opportunity presents itself to have him off. Uh, with which Askeladd, I'm sure, will be very happy to do, given that insult he was just dealt uh, but the king himself is, as we've said, he might look like, you know, a withered potato after being left out in the sun too long. But the idiot, he is not. So he recognizes Askeladd for what he is, which is to say that he is incredibly dangerous and very, very sharp as well. But there's no time for that. Let's celebrate. Let's get drunk. <laughs> yeah. And this leads to an amazing set of small scenes. Uh, not least of which is, I don't understand why Falkel has a small boy hanging on the back of his head in the bar. Um, but hey, you know what? He does. He does indeed. A, uh, the but end of this episode the, was great. Mm-hmm. But uh, as it turns out, uh, you know, there is someone else who's actually drawing more attention in this bar. Uh, than Forkel, even though Forkel is like seven foot tall and you know has a voice that you could hear from like five miles away, uh, it's a gentleman who looks suspiciously similar, but you can't quite tell immediately. And he's having a drinking contest, which he is winning without blinking. <laughs> and everyone's like, "Wait a minute!" I knew it was immediately. By the way, no, Did no. no I've got, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I'm just playing up for effect. Like, um, I mean, I can see someone not though. I mean. He is, uh, you know, he is very different looking now. <laughs> yeah. So, as it happens, um, it's Willibald, our favorite, you know, uh, how should we say, negligent alcoholic father, but mm-hmm. not in the way you might think. Uh, and he has recently shaved his beard, and apparently that's made him look much, much younger. So, uh, by the way, folks, if you think, you know, that I will end up shaving my own beard just for, you know, effect so you can see how I look without one. Ain't happening. I look... I knew you were going to say that, Yukon. I knew you were going to say that. No. <laughs> I'm not I'm not shaving my beard and making myself look like a poached egg. Absolutely not. <laughs> I refused. <laughs> I refuse. This I... is my last bit of dignity, and I know it's not that all that substantial. It might actually be working against people. By God, am I holding on to it. For the, anyway. For the first 14 episodes of the show... I didn't shave. Uh, you did well. Solidarity with the Vikings. It was pretty, 
it was pretty bushy and I just couldn't I couldn't handle it. I had to trim it down. <laughs> it wasn't doing it for me. Anyway. I once had a beard that was like down here, but it looked really, really scraggly, so I decided I'd look better by getting it trimmed occasionally. Uh Willard Bald thinks himself, you know what, hey, I'll I'll, you know, have a shave now because hey, why not? You know? He's had he's had a makeover. He's doing all right for himself. So what happens next is that Forkel sits down to have a drinking contest with him. And I'm going to ask you a question, Doc. Did you ever play, this might sound random, but just roll me here. Did you ever play Near Automata? I played a bit of it, as you know. All right. <laughs> so people at home, but you, if you've played Near Automata, might know that there are a couple of joke endings in that game, mm-hmm. uh, usually when you do something daft, like eating the fish, for example. <laughs> if Finland Saga were a video game, uh, or an RPG even, and let's say you're playing Canute in this, and you had the option to go watch the drinking contest between Forkel and Willibald. You should probably make what I'm about to say a poll, by the way. Uh, that would be the end of the game, in my opinion, because that would never end. That drinking contest would go on for ten years or longer. <laughs> There's no way I can see either of those two, like, conceding. Because Forkel is Forkel. The man is just pure power. Like, you know, he's pure beef. Mm-hmm. He's, he's just a slab of meat. But Willibald, like, has a black hole installed in his fucking liver or something. Because the man can just throw back alcohol like it's nothing. And, I mean, he's already adopted, like, several new sons during the course of this particular drinking session, as it turns out. Yes. So that's the end of the game at that point, in my opinion, if you had it set up like Near Automata, where you had joke endings, where sit down and watch the drinking contest until a definitive winner is cleared, and it never happens. But that's, of course, not what actually happens. We have to go with the canonical true ending on this one, which is that Canus and Asclad, you know... Asclad, by the way, now sitting on the chair next to him, basically very nicely through imagery, symbolizing how he has supplanted Ragnar Holy as his new father figure kind of thing. Or if not father figure, then certainly as a mentor. Uh, but they're discussing what to do next, uh, how they plan to get uh, the king and such. But this is when Ragnar's brother Gunnar turns up. And Gunnar... He's all like, hey, you know what? It's good to see you again. It's been a while. Remember that plan we had for the Duchy of Normandy? <laughs> what like, a You clown. can get away to a nice little, little sunny spot there. And Canute's just like, I'm afraid Ragnar's dead. Yeah. And you know, what's, yeah. you know what's funny? I'm not going to talk about this at length, but you might recall that I said before that when uh, King Sewin, uh, he similarly, you know, was kind of, I don't give two shits about Ragnar dying, whatever. Fucking lout, who cares? He was a waste of my wages. Uh, Canute, it's not quite as, of course, as, you know, apparent or obvious, but he similarly has a very muted way of telling this. I mean, this is Ragnar's brother, so you'd think he would relate on that level, like, to say, I'm so sorry, even if he didn't feel it personally. But he doesn't even do that. And this is, of course, while he's drinking wine in much the same fashion as his father is. So as much as, like, you know, we want to say that they are distinct people and it's Canute that we're rooting for, we can see how... Well, it's like he said, children learn by looking at their parents. And he certainly was looking and paying close attention in the throne room. But yeah, uh, that's that with Gunnar. We then mm-hmm. cut over to Asklad, you know, doing one of his favorite things, which is not, you know, respecting, like, finding his private place to piss. He's doing that in the open, just doing it alone this time. Uh, we see that uh, Thorfinn is still uh, practicing, by the way, for the inevitable duel, uh, throwing himself around like he's I don't know, fucking Rhea Hayabusa from Ninja Gaiden. <laughs> Kid's good, working good real pull. hard here. He, he's doing pretty well. And Asgard, of course, is still taunting him. Uh, but this is where we get uh, Ardley coming back into the picture, who 
is joined by his brother, by the way, who has now been rendered into a childlike state. I mean, you had problems before, like, you know, I said about blue screening. You know, like how you had problems before upgrading from OBS to the new version? That's what's happened right. to him. It really just left him, like, you know, basically as a kid. Um, but they're planning on leaving. And this is the point where Askeladd takes off that gold um, arm bracelet that's shaped like a snake and gives it to him. And he says to him, you know what? Take this. Get yourself some money. Become a farmer. Raise some sheep. Get a wife. The sword never suited you. It's not your calling in life. Um, we learn... Exactly, by the way. I was getting his name wrong. But mm-hmm. we learn, of course, you know, that Bjorn is probably not going to make it out. But yeah, Askeladd lets him go. Uh, this is like the only other man of his, really, you could argue, although he did betray him, kind of, uh, left at this point. I mean, Thorfinn... Like, Thorfinn is... I wouldn't call him loyal as such, but he's uh, he's certainly devoted to killing him <laughs> in a very formalized way. Uh, Bjorn is currently, you know, well, he's in mushroom heaven right now, even if he doesn't realize it. Um, that's it. He has no one left. And so he strips the pretenses off and says, look, all the times we had, I know that you were never meant for this. Go be the person you were meant to be. Uh, this is going to be a big thing for us to talk about soon, okay. by the way. Uh, but then Asgard closes out, at least near the end of the episode, just kind of looking into the distance, kind of thinking, you know, god damn it. <laughs> I missed my bracelet already. What a, yeah, <laughs> what a, what a, and it's been a long, strange journey for Asgard, that's for it sure. It really, really has. What a, what a saga. Yeah, a Vinland saga, you might hey, say. Hey, you picked up what I was putting down. I don't, don't believe I, what they I, say I, about you. That's how that's how I roll. Um, right. So with that, however, we're not quite done with the episode because we get a reminder that you know everyone's favorite uh, weed smoker, Leif Erikson, is Erikson oh, still around. Yes. In case you forgot about him, because right. he last. I, I love that they put him in like at the end of the first core, if you want to call it that, I just know. to say this guy's still around and he's back again. I'm like, are we even going to have him catch up at this point with Oh with my them? god, that was like eight episodes ago, where he it just... was eight episodes ago. <laughs> And then we just didn't hear from him again. I forgot. I mean, about is this that. like is this like the uh, is this like a backdoor pilot for a show called Where in the World Is Leif Erikson? <laughs> Definitely. I I don't know. Uh, but that's the episode. So yeah, the board set up. Canute and his dad. You know, they very clearly understand each other. They you know, they know that he, he <clears throat> Canute knows that uh, his dad is going to kill him. That's pretty obvious now. And Canute's father in turn is no idiot and recognizes him as a threat to his position. Um, so let's get on to talking points. Now I've gabber jibber jabber dooby dooby dibby dabba da for a fair bit, so I'm going to pass it over to you, Doc. <laughs> okay, well, a couple things. First thing, um, I think it will be good to quickly say, because um, we didn't, we skipped over it at the beginning because we were in a hurry to start because of all the technical difficulties, but uh, just wanted to point out that this episode was uh, directed by Michiru uh, Itabu. Uh, I can never, I have to always get close to read this name because there are so many vowels crammed together. Uh, Mishiru uh, Itabisashi. So Itabisashi, it should be noted, has either directed or co-directed four of the last six episodes. Which Mm. I guess I didn't really notice until now that it was such a major pattern. Mm. Um, But yeah, he directed 15 was one of three who directed 17, 
co-directed 19 and directed 20 by himself. Uh, and Itabusashi has also directed some earlier episodes. So their name is like all over, all over this production. And the way things have been going lately, um, I mean, I think they're doing great work. I, I love it. I love uh, the, the pacing of these last few episodes a lot. A lot mm. more than that kind of middle third of the show. Um, Things are definitely kicking tight here. We feel like there's a sense of progression and an end goal in mind here, as opposed to we're just going to wander with Canute until things. Like, happen. what are we doing out here? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, so, just wanted to mention that. And then, I guess, for my main talking point, um, there. What scene inspired me to think of this? Um, it is when Canute is talking to his father. Oh, yes, it's because King Swain is talking about uh, how he viewed his own father. He says, you know, mm-hmm. I, of course, thought my dad is cruel and a coward, and if he continues to rule, the whole world will fall into um, annihilation. You know, we'll be obliterated. It will be, there'll be a lot of suffering. It'll be awful. Uh, I've got to step in and do what's best for the kingdom. You know, I have to do what must be done for the good of the people, and I have to take this crown. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you have Canute here who is basically thinking the same thing, right? And the king knows he's thinking the same thing. And we've talked about cycles on this show before, um, on this show, about this show before, uh, and I mean, maybe here's like another instance of it, although I'm, maybe it's not just, maybe that's not quite the right way to frame it. Cause it's not necessarily like a history repeating thing, but maybe more of a, the younger generation is always very cognizant of the failings and the mistakes of the older generation. Damn millennials. Yeah, no. Ruining everything for everyone. <laughs> well, no, that's it's the opposite, right? It's the millennials going like, boomers fucked it up. And now well, we can't do that. That was Swade's perspective. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, so, okay, oh, right. Oh. Yes. Um, well, Tyson, no, I think, millennial scum. <laughs> well, I think Swayan is like cool with it. I think he just recognizes like, oh, it's me. Because he says like, oh, you've turned into me. And I didn't think this Whoops. would happen. Uh, that's why it's saggy, to be fair. He, oh my gosh, so Yukinon just said he directed Sword Art Online. I did not know that. Was he the director of the entire thing, or just episodes? Well, everyone makes mistakes. <laughs> the first Sword Art Online is not the worst thing. There, yeah, there's I, worse, uh, there are far worse anime. I mean, don't get me wrong, I have issues with it. I do. There's way worse anime out there. Um, this is true. Uh... Oh, so and he's talking about the new one, not even the old, ye old twenty twelve oh, oh. SAO. Whew. Okay, I forgive him. Like I forgive him then. Iteration I... number twelve or whatever it is of of the Sal multiverse. Um, Sold out like give us more of your money, you fucks. <laughs> right. Yes, definitely. Um, so yeah, I just thought uh, right with like that. Um, kind of where the present generation or older generation kind of comes to is always like the newer generation is always gonna like like the results and the fruits of the labor and everything the older generation works for 
is no, always nothing more than the starting point for the next generation. And there's always mm-hmm. going to be some taking for granted. And there's, and there's always going to be some like a rightful, like, Hey, you mm-hmm. guys fucked up. Like there's all these flaws in what you've done and you adults need to now get out of the way and mm-hmm. not be, you know, and the King Swain, King Swain speaks to this right when he talks about the crown, like there's always, well, this is also why we get the uh, reminder of Ascalad's history, like through him like losing his shit nearly at Swain for his comment about his mother, mm-hmm. because that's something that happened under his watch, right? And arguably because of his direction, mm-hmm. and not directly, of course, he wasn't literally there pointing and saying do this awful thing, but rather he put people in the position where they were allowed to do that. Yeah, both in terms of location and through a lack of restraint, for sure, for sure. And and there's there's always, I think the show is saying anyway that there seems to be a move when a generation of change makers and influencers not in the fucking youtube sense but like people actually doing shit <laughs> in the world and making things happen there's always a point when they kind of go from making changes and progressing things forward to preserving the current structure and power that they have Mm -hmm. and that might be some of what swain is getting at i know we'll talk about like the whole like will of the crown thing but like circling the wagons preserving his power and resting on the laurels of things that he's done when the younger generation coming up could just look at it all and be like well clearly we could improve on this like clearly the adults Mm -hmm. need to make way uh and that we can do better and you know, if Canute has a has a son, uh, his heir will probably, when Canute is an old man, look at him the same way. I think, and mm-hmm. it's just the show, like, is doing this neat thing where it can simultaneously focus on micro, like the these couple characters here, Canute, mm-hmm. his dad, um. But it can also be about, like, well, this drama playing out here is is really important and riveting, but it's also just part of this, like, wider flow of time and history and things that repeat in the way, in the world, the way it is, is set up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it is a credit to Canute that, like, his ambition is not just about um the crown it's not just kind of a local ambition he really does want to change well he yes um but boy is he he's got a i mean not the same premise necessarily but i I have been watching babylon recently and the titular city was indeed destroyed in christian myth because Mm -hmm. it was an affront to god as its own kind of paradise. Right. So I find it ama- I find it really fascinating and amazing just knowing that little bit of Christian trivia that Canute, mm-hmm. as a devout Christian, does not recognize <clears throat> the very, you know, warning or does not care for it rather. Yeah, exactly. Of that of that story in his own ambition to create paradise on earth, even saying you'll become a demon. I'm like, Canute, look, bro, like I'm, you know, I treat like Sunday service as something that I avoid. Like, you know, it's a Sunday disservice to me. I'll take the free wine for sure. The unleavened bread, you drop that elsewhere. Don't give two shits about that. (laughs) Bibles, something to throw, not to read for me. I don't care. But, but, 
like, I get you what you're going for here, but it's going to end badly. The Bible itself has many stories about human ambition, like, you know, and building things in defiance of heaven as their own version of paradise falling apart. In fact, do you want to know what I just also remembered? Hmm. Uh, you might recall in the OP for the second half of the show that there is an eaten apple. Yes. Which is, of course, and that indeed appeared in the series earlier as well. I think it was around episode 15. Um, and of course, what does the apple represent in Christian mythology? It is forbidden knowledge from which once eaten, you are expelled from paradise. Now, <laughs> that look on your face. <laughs> it's just another myth of preservation of power. Like, oh, of yeah. course, you got too big for your britches and, and you don't know your place anymore, so God yeah. struck you down. Uh, but that being said, may I point something out? Uh, what did Askeladd remove from his arm? A snake-shaped bracer or bracelet. He is the snake the of devil. the... He is the devil. He is the devil, yeah. Askeladd is the devil of this little, like, you know, reinterpretation here. Uh, what that makes forfeit, I'm not so sure, but... <laughs> That's a great point. point. Um... Unless That's people ship point. Canute and Thorfinn together, in which case was the question of which one's Adam and which one's Eve. <laughs> so I, I prefer to kind of look at Canute's ambition less specifically, um, more of kind of like a, broadly speaking, like he's interested in some structural change, which mm -hmm. I think is good and important. And he doesn't want perpetual war as has been going on. Yeah. And, like, and of course the crown, the will of the crown is to safeguard the current structure. And because it has amassed all this power to itself. So of course yeah. it's going to want to do that. And now I know in, in actually playing it out, right. I mean, uh, <laughs> Canute's just a person and he's going to, he can't do everything. He's going to delegate, and those that he delegates to will also be people. And there's going to be a lot of fuck-ups, and there's going to be a lot of wrongdoing, and it'll probably go awry. But um, but I think his uh, his goal of wanting to take a step, I mean, I think he even says he wants to take a step in the right direction, if nothing mm -hmm. else, is like laudable that he wants to do that kind of structural reform to like the world. Um, and wants mm -hmm. to create a place on Earth. Uh, and I just loved, like, I mean, we've already covered this whole thing, but, like, his whole, like, big middle finger to God, where he's like, I'm, mm. I'm sure when God sees what I've done, he'll be like, ah, oh, Canute, like, come come here. I I love you, buddy. You're great. And then he'll be like, no. Why do you sound like Stan Lee? <laughs> you make him sound like Stan Lee a little bit there. I don't understand why. Spider-Man is God's greatest creation. No. Uh, that's I don't know what that is, but like, um, no, I don't know why, but like, yeah. And then Canute is just like, you know, I we don't need you anymore. We got this. Um, the only thing is, again, Dodoc, like as as much as you say, like about admiring his ambition and his intent, even if it might go wrong, is that like, by setting Vinland Saga in the time period that I've mentioned before, we already know how this plays out. And uh, whoops, unless big, they big just whoop, big whoop big whoopsie there, unless he creates a civilization that like disappears from the annals of history. Ah, so that's what happened to Atlantis. Exactly. That explains a lot. Yep. Mm -hmm. It just took first... a little bit longer for it to be made. <laughs> Canute is the first Atlantean king. That's exactly where we're going. Well, you know, it's, it's certainly not the uh, sequel to Aquaman that I expected, but here <laughs> we are. I'll take that. Oh. All right. What, All right, what... Is it over to me now? Yeah, yeah. What's say? All right, okay. 
So I'm going to just start off with a very small thing, but I want to point out how good the direction this episode is. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned about the Will of the Crown. One of the scenes that I really, really like in this is that when um, Sirin takes off the crown, he holds it in front of him and views Canute for it like he's looking at him through a telescope mm-hmm. or like a spyglass. And that's such a brilliant way of like actually anthropomorphizing the will of the crown as this kind of like, well, not its own like entity. I mean, like I say, it's not a spirit or anything like that. But obviously Seren, well, well, <laughs> but Seren obviously views his own son as a threat to him maintaining this rule, this this power, if you will. And through viewing it through the crown, like he sees, it seems to be like the, the lens through which he views his own son as a threat to him. Because after all, if you think about it, Seren actually said that he overthrew his own father and Canute in turn said children learn from their fathers. So he's not an idiot. Succession often in those times, particularly in like medieval as we go around to it, was never usually or rather rarely uh, through, you know, dying and passing on or even abdicating. A lot of times it was just simply either by having the bigger army or just by killing them outright. Mm-hmm. So Seren's no idiot here. And I just really, really love that little shot there. Directionist episode is super, super solid in various respects. Totally. 100% agree. Um, That's uh, our boy, to... uh, Nishiru, coming through in the clutch That's again. True. Absolutely. And I'm going to move now on from that small talking point to a kind of semi-related one here, which is to do with direction and how you construct an episode and also how you handle tone. Because here's the thing, right? I would not describe Vinland Saga as a happy tale, to be quite honest. It's been pretty, it's been pretty miserable through various parts of it. We've seen like people be both killed, like in terms of you know actually physically dying, or just being destroyed at a young age and like turned into like warped aberrations of themselves. I mean, all three of our main characters at the moment, Thorfinn, Askeladd, and Canute, they they have baggage, they have wounds, like you wouldn't believe. All of them are products of their time and their circumstance. But here's the thing, right? What I really like about Vinland Saga as well is that it handles comedy really well when it needs it to provide a bit of levity, just in the downtime. I mean, Forkel, like, I know that our esteemed mm-hmm. colleague James Beckett has issues with Forkel being too childlike uh, for the tone being set. And I think that's a reasonable argument one could make if you look at the, ser- at the series as a whole. But Forkel in this episode, apart from obviously... Canute's own use of him as a, you know, ambassador to the generals and the soldiers there. He serves a perfect puzzle piece here in terms of allowing a bit of levity with him being in the bar. He's doing what he does best, fair enough, but it's enjoyable seeing him there after the immensely tense scene that we had prior to that. It allows, you know, the audience to relax a little bit, have the downside, be there in kind of the same mood and the same headspace as Canute and others, where they get that moment to breathe. So that's really, really neat. But then also think about Willibald making a return as well. That's perfect use of him as a it character. It really is. Tremendous. Yeah, I mean, he's he's served like a philosophical bent, like, mm-hmm. you know, espousing his viewpoint on like, you know, what is love, baby? No, sorry. Mm-hmm. I won't, mm-hmm. I won't mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. I won't do it. You know, I, th- um, I thought but, for a minute that the episode might be called Crown because of Willibald. <laughs> <laughs> because that, that was the, the new child he had taken on board. Just a keg of Crown. Uh, he's, he's got many, many new children, and he, and they've already. He's already, unfortunately, you know, destroyed all of them. Oh, well. they're all drained. Dry. I mean, that's. I mean, I mean, I mean, you and I like mentioned before, like this was a murder court kind of thing going on with what was happening with Floki and Asclad. Mm-hmm. But I think this is like you know child custody proceedings between Forkel and Willibald just over the alcohol instead of an actual kid. So, so yeah, like, like 
in dark stories, like there can be, I think, a good reason to put comedy in or comedic moments because it helps gel with the overall, you know, rising and escalating tension mm-hmm. and mood that you often see in a lot of classic stories or classical story structures, even, I mean to say. And certainly, you know, I think that Vinland Saga would be a lesser show if it didn't have these things. It would probably be a bit too dismal for my taste. Mm. I mean, if you and I, for example, think back to Berserk, there were moments of levity and humor in that show. Yes. Like when you've got the guy mouthing off like, you know, I know 200 like secret ancient techniques. I'm like, you're so full of shit. (laughs) You're just so full of shit. But that's the thing. Like it had those moments where it allowed itself a little bit of humor, not to define the show itself as a comedy, but to allow like this little bit of levity to help, you know, relieve tension and, you know, not leave the audience feeling too dreary. And again, Willie Bald's use in this episode with him sitting down with Farkel, when I can crack a joke like the Fear All Mad thing, I... You know, that comes from a place of extrapolation on the existing humor that's already there because I recognize it for what it is, which is a funny moment. And it was very, very welcome. And as I say, it even does double duty by serving the meta element of putting us in the headspace of the others where we were kind of, you know, we're the audience. We're in there with the throne room and everything's got real super Game of Thrones, like, you know, Red Wedding, you know, Brutus waiting to stab Caesar as he comes down the fucking Senate steps mm-hmm. kind of moment. And, you know, what better way to have it, you know, to get back in the minds of the characters when they're allowed to relax, say for fourth and of course, sure. by enjoy- engaging a little bit of, you know, light-hearted humour. So that stuff's uh-huh. always welcome, and it's used really, really effectively here. I reckon this is a temp- like a really good like textbook example of like where you can point to it and say, this is how you do it. Yeah, and I think this show, unlike Berserk, um, might be too dry without without the comedy like i think oh yeah yeah i think berserk 97 like if even if you pull the comedy out of it there is still um it it was still really like it propelled you forward pretty well episode on episode whereas there are parts of this show that if you if you took out the comedy or the real kind of um lighthearted is not the word but the sort of heartfelt character um some some of those beats like the show would start to feel a little too dry. I agree. I agree. So just thought I'd mention that before I get into the meatier stuff that I'll be going mm-hmm. to a bit with, the, you know, the, the whole crown thing and, you know, roles and stuff like that. All right, over to you, Doc. I'm going to pass the uh, the drinking keg over to yes. you. Yes. Take, take a long sip and d- distill your knowledge to us. <laughs> well, uh, which one do I want to go to? Well, um, I, I really enjoyed... Uh, all the uh, handful of moments in this episode where Canute kind of gets to reintroduce himself to people in his in his life that have known him before he went out uh, with Ragnar in, to London, and I thought, um, yeah, and I think this is the first episode where we get to do that, like because. Other people that have been near him saw him change, like as it was happening in real time. Yeah, and these other people kind of didn't, and um, it just was nice because I got to kind of reflect, like, you know, maybe there are moments in my life where getting to like reacquaint yourself with people, and they're just like, whoa, very something about you is very different. Like or or yeah, me to them. Like wow, you've really changed a lot. Um, could be for the better, could be for the worse. And um, that was just. There's not really anything like deep or philosophical about it, but like 
it was just nice for me, the viewer. Like it was a nice. Um, uh, I don't know if payoff is the right word here, but like he really has changed a lot and it just is so logical and makes sense. And then we get to see these encounters mm -hmm. play out and it's fun. It's fun to, as you're meeting a lot of these people for the first time, like mm -hmm. you get to see their expectations get subverted right before your eyes because they, you know, Gunnar is doing his wacky dance talking about whatever. <laughs> and then he's just like, mouth agape like looks close to tears and i agree by the way with Askeladd that he might not be one to be trusted it looks like he was enjoying having naive scared little prince canute in his pocket um yeah if you ask me that uh, i mean that that duchy like you know mm -hmm. of thingy yep yeah you know could be could be quite the payday am i right canute yeah. am i right yeah. let's go into exile together oh. So, I mean, it's like they said in Monty Python, all the gold you can eat. <laughs> right. Uh, but no, I just like really, I, I dug, I dug all those ones from, I mean, the king to these various other people getting to sort of see the new Canute and Canute doesn't buckle. Like, it's mm. so nice. Like, because I, I know in my life when I've changed a lot and I'm going back like to some kind of reunion or something and just like, do I revert to type? Uh, do I like, present myself in the way that I was before um, to kind of make it easier for them. So, or make it easier for me. So it's not awkward. I don't have to like explain anything like, but it's so good. Like to see him, like he just stays the course. He's just like Ragnar's dead. Like this is me, bud. And you know, to his dad, he's like, Hey, guess what, dad? Um, I, you need to die. <laughs> like, not in so many words, but that's like the, you you feel that that's the, the, the yeah king, that's the inferred meaning it's communicated it, yeah. effectively to the king and uh, yeah i just really enjoyed those moments a lot hmm. all right so let's talk about the big idea of this episode which is the roles that we have in life and whether or not they're right for us or not okay because Sewin himself like says that the crown has a will of its own now i don't actually think that is literal of course no. What I think to mean is that when he puts that crown on his head, he becomes the king. And you might say, well, duh, of course he becomes the king when he puts the crown on his head. But I mean, um, in fact, I have an example for you. Now, I'm going to say ahead of time that what I'm about to tell you has indeed been discredited and, dis and not necessarily, you know, is accurate or true. But I find it fascinating nonetheless. It's one of those, like, you know, popcorn moments in psychology. Have you ever heard the Stanford Prison Experiment? No. All right, Stanford Prison Experiment. Um, Stanford University. Uh, I'm really dredging this up from memory okay. here, folks. I apologize to my A-level psychology teacher who's probably screaming bloody murder at me for not remembering this. Uh, but anyway, basically the idea was this. They took a group of about 30 students from Stanford University and they divided them into two groups to run a simulated prison. Now, if you know anything about psychology, uh, you'll know, I'll probably guess A, this was done in the 60s when ethics and, you know, such in psychology were very limited. And B, this is a catastrophically, monumentally fucking stupid idea to do this. It's a really bad thing to do. But here's the thing. Half of the people were inmates, half of them were guards. Otherwise, they were a completely average cross-section of any, like, class in university. Like, the classes you see at your university, for example, Doc. Nothing out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. And do you want to know what it took all of 11 days to happen? for abuse and, like, you know, violence, like, insults, mm -hmm. all sorts of horrible shit's happened. 
So and I'm this reading. is the thing: none of these people, none yeah. of yeah, you're actually reading it. Uh-huh. None of this, none of this stuff actually, you know, was anything they had trained for. They had never trained now to run a prison. They just acted out roles, roles given to them by the uniforms that they wore because they had mock-up uniforms, based on mock-up cells and such. And eventually, it got canned because it obviously was causing real, real harm to yeah. people. Some people it just says left mid-experiment, so the results were kind of skewed or whatever. But like, it says that some prisoners like passively accepted the psychological abuse and by officer's request actively harassed other prisoners who tried to stop the abuse mm-hmm. can you believe that that yeah is crazy so why am i bringing up this incredibly silly idea from the 1960s that probably did some real harm to people because i think it goes to show that if you get told to put on a role in life and i'm not talking in the sense of being an actor but actually to fulfill a position in front of you You'll probably unconsciously do so. Now, again, I'm stressing that the Stanford prison experiment itself is not something you should base that on as scientific right. evidence in any way. But I don't think it's unreasonable to say that, you know, that we will try and meet expectations that are put on us. And indeed, you and I have discussed this before with Canute. So let's apply it to Swain. Swain takes the crown, puts it on his head. He now is king and he must project a sense of power to people. And that's why he does all this warfare thing that he does. You know, the war itself is not really for any sort of real reason other than to, you know, gain wealth and, you know, credit and to project strength out there, mm-hmm. which is juxtaposed with how he is visually. Because look at him. As we see, even as Asgard yeah. notes, he is, he is a, like, he is a soggy, like, mess. <laughs> he's just, he's a fucking wreck. He does look like he's actively melting. Yeah, he really does. If he, I mean, I hope he doesn't get exposed to sunlight no. too much, because Jesus Christ. <laughs> but for all that you know that he is king, he certainly doesn't project strength or anything personally. He might have a smart mind, but as far as he looks, he ain't getting any Tinder matches anytime soon, that's for sure. I mean, people swiping <laughs> away from that shit all day long. Totally, well. yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> But that's the thing, like, the crown makes demands of him as a person and also probably explains why he was a shit father more so than any inherent nature that he had. Mm. And I think that's a much more interesting way of looking at behavior, particularly in character, in fiction, that we're, it's, you know, nature versus nurture, we're the products of the environment we grow up in and the expectations placed on us. Think about Canute. Canute was raised by Ragnar. Ragnar said, I raised you as a father's son, and that's how he became the person he is. But always that was a kind of tension with his, you know, royal nature. Mm-hmm. Even without the crown on his head, there were still expectations placed on him. And he has in turn used that to exert will over people like for Kel. And then look at the other characters we see in this episode. There's a reason that lovely little, like, Kuleshov insert of Thorfinn pops in there. Yeah. Because we are then asked the question in our heads. Okay, is he referring to Thor's? Is he referring to Asgard? Is it a combination of both? And indeed, then you think of Thorfinn's own dreams of Vinland. Like, we know that his original best nature and best role was to not be the person he is now, which is basically Askeladd, you know, assassin, mm-hmm. uh, but rather to be, you know, be out exploring the world and soaking it all in and all its beauty. Canute himself, you know, would have been much better as a farmer rather than living as a king or even as a prince. Askeladd himself is just a complete fucking hodgepodge of awful shit that's happened to I mean, he didn't even get given a name by his father. But as was said before, like, you know, when his father was, like, with Canute, sorry, saying, like, about how, you know, children look, uh, adopt their parents' attitudes and such, mm-hmm. his father was a fucking rapist, a pillager, a plunderer, a pirate, you name it. What a surprise that, you know, the apple does indeed not fall far from the tree. But then, of course, Askeladd himself recognizes in 
Atli that that's not his role in life and he sets him free in a sense mm -hmm. he no longer is the snake in doing so like he, in fact maybe that is in, in turn abdicating his own role as a snake and trying to be something different we'll see of course as Marcus go along but there's a lot of shades this idea of roles and like how people act one exception I would say is Farkel but I think that that might be the actual um story's own acknowledgement that maybe Farkel is exactly where he wants to be and should be what his best role is as a warrior like, he's never shown any need to be anywhere else or any want to be anywhere else. And, mm -hmm. you know, we can certainly say that that's still not a good thing for him to be, just, you know, carving through people like, you know, my dad through the Christmas turkey, at, you know, at holidays. But at the same time, I think that that gives the story a bit more nuance to see him in that way. So well, he's there's like, a lot to unpack from yeah, this. He's like the freest character. Orkel. Indeed, they acknowledge that in this episode. He, he, he just, uh, yeah, there's no role imposed upon him. Like, everything that he is is not any kind of pretension to, uh, you, you know, there's no there's no sort of super ego, <laughs> like, happening, right? Like, it's just, it's just all him. <laughs> He's just totally an open book, and it's great. Yeah. But that being said, Canute also recognizes in Falkel his other role, apart from being a warrior, which is as a kind of figure of, like, local legend. Why does he send him rather than Askeladd? I mean, Askeladd could probably do a decent job with talking to them, but Canute knows that Forkel is extremely popular. So that's why he sends him to Hobnob. He's like, in terms of who's got the better, like, you know, parlance and, like, you know, the ability to persuade people directly, mm -hmm. it's Askeladd easily. Askeladd's, you know, the snake. But, but, Forkel is the more popular figure. He is, like, you know, the, the character that people admire openly for all of his feats and achievements. So Canute recognizes his role in that as well. Mm -hmm. So, so many different lovely little shades of like that theme and motif in this episode of roles and like expectations placed us and how, I mean, you and I discussed this in our as of yet to be uh, released Princess Kaguya cast mm -hmm. about how, you know, we shouldn't shove people into uh, round pet, you know, square pegs into round holes, lest they have uh, what part, what defines them sanded off. Look out for that, patrons, coming Friday. Indeed. Princess Kaguya cast. And in fact, when I think about it, if you go back to like, you know, Thor's, for example, Thor's like had a role forced back on him almost by Floki by being swung back to the Yom's Vikings, which he didn't want. He knew that his destiny lay elsewhere, as he, as he perceived anyway. Mm -hmm. So all this shit is fan-fucking-tastic. And again, yeah. this is a thing I really like about the show. It keeps it in the same beats. If you drill down for all the stuff we discuss week on week, uh, and if indeed you know when you look at what other people have written about the show, it all really hits down the same thing of cycles, you know, as we say. I mean, the crown, like, you know, poisoning King Serwin in a certain sense and leading him to become the, like, you know, amorphous blob monster that he is now. Um, but it keeps examining them through different lenses and different ideas, bringing in new characters to reinforce existing, like, that existing core principle. Mm -hmm but in different and new ways. And I really, really admire this show for that. Like, yeah, okay, you might argue it's very one note in getting its point across, and maybe it could have been done much more efficiently, but I won't deny it's certainly not been thorough with it, and also been uh, engaging to look at both in terms of how it relates to character relationships and what happens next, and also how it does it differently with each of them, and how they all are, you know, in their own unique way, like, changed by the cycles of, like, you know, warfare and such. Mm -hmm. But how it's different for each of them. Yeah. No, it's all it's super fascinating. The show is fucking it's good. It's really good. It's really good. Um 
man. So do you think... What do you think about King Swain's language of, like, being a slave to the will of the crown? Being a slave to to power? Like, what is going on there? Where I think, he, as I say, that's him... That's him having to project as a king. Right. Well, he, So he feels powerless, despite, like, having the power of a god. So you feel like he feels that he, he has all this power, but he doesn't feel powerful because he has to project. Um, and, well, I think as I say, like, the idea, it's, for me, is just very simply that it's a role that he is playing. He is fulfilling a role set for him by putting that crown on his head. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it's anything like that he is probably introspected too deeply about. Like when he says a slave to, I think that's just literally him living out that role that's uh, from there. And that's why he treats his son the way he does and why he does the things he does with the whole warfare. So because is there a justification for the war that's going on there? I don't fucking think so. Not as the show presents anyway. And certainly not as we see how it affects the characters like, you know, they're in it. So it's, Asklad, for example, who is a pretty much a product of it whole through and throughout. So no, I don't think it's I don't think it's uh much more complicated than that. I think it just literally is I put this on, I become the king, and I must act the role of the king, even if it means that I do some pretty hair shit, because that's what I believe a king to be. Mm. Yeah. That is interesting. Um I'm surprised that there wasn't I don't know. Maybe it will get into this or maybe not. Um uh, I tend to think like part of the reason one might feel uh, this is kind of powerless despite holding a great office is like you're hemmed in by a really tight structure around you. Like there are all these mm-hmm. people making demands. You know, you have to satisfy a lot of different groups. Uh, if you don't keep uh, powerful groups happy, they could. Uh, sort of secretly or not secretly get the power away from you like there's this balancing well, that's, act that's why he want that's why he wants canoe dead exactly so in fact in, may i just point out that prior to this episode he wanted canoe dead mm-hmm. because he was an embarrassment to him not because he actually perceived any real chance of canoe yep. wanting to take the crown from him he has to is keeping up appearances as i say and my sons are like you know a waster who's a pasty thin light piece of shit who just wants to farm apples all day. Mm-hmm. That's not kingly. That's not royalty. That's peasant work. Indeed, he described that as such previously when Canute actually cooks a meal for himself, which is, you know, a skill that a lot of people don't actually have in the modern time. It's something mm-hmm. that's actually quite respectable these days. And so, yeah. And so why doesn't he just execute him, right? Because, like, because like that's you're saying, being... uh-huh, yeah. Because yeah. he has to play this role and he has to the power still has to be protected. Like you're still, you're not, I mean, he says it's a power of a God, but I don't know. In some ways it's really not like you were beholden to a lot of tradition and a lot of different groups where if you just killed the Prince, the, as the game of Thrones says, the small folk and all the, the nobles also would probably be like, uh, what the fuck dude? Uh, you're not mm-hmm. fit to be in power. When theoretically he should be able to do whatever he wants, but he has to like make it appear to be an accident in battle 
Well, Canute recognizes <laughs> that because he says, like, you know, whoever draws their swords first loses. And indeed, that is actually his token victory over King Swain because obviously he doesn't kill him in this episode, but he gets him to act first. Yep. Yes. Which I loved. I, like, was so happy that that was kind of how Canute framed this, is whoever draws first loses. Like, mm-hmm. so great. <laughs> like, I loved it. And, oh, man, Askeladd really did... Can we talk about how awesome Asclad was in this episode? Like, how he... I mean, he kind of proved himself to be, like, a first in importance of, like, the king's new kind of main group of vassals. Um, Yeah. And like you said, by the end, he was sitting by him, you know, drinking wine, like, as, you know, appeared to be, like, his right-hand man, right? And yeah, he's he's replaced Ragnar. He's Ragnar. Yeah, and like an episode ago, he was like thinking about killing him. (laughs) You know what I mean? He had that impulse, Mm -hmm. but then he was just like, "No, you will atone with service." And now he is like giving him like service that no one else could. I mean, he talked down the king, which is pretty incredible. Um, And I've again, why did why does the king agree to what Asgard says? Though, if you think about it, because Asgard is correct. It would look bad. Yes. He has to play mm-hmm. a role. Yeah, yeah. He has to acknowledge, acknowledge that mm-hmm. he's playing a role, and acknowledge like this gesture that Askeladd has made. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hell, let's switch over to Forfin for a second. He's playing the role that he feels is inherited from his father in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. That you know, honor system of you know, I will not kill Askeladd except in a duel. Even though, as I've argued many times before, uh, things would have been better off if Askeladd had been killed by him in his sleep way back when. Now I don't know, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean yes, but also, oh, it starts to as as this alternate timeline plays <laughs> out. It's like you just start to see all the different dominoes and all the ripples, and it's like, oh, I don't know, maybe or maybe not. Well, we're, well, we're on the true ending here, Doc. We don't get to see the other happy ending, I'm afraid, because we missed out at the divergence point in the visual novel. <laughs> right. That is pretty bleak, Grizzly. <laughs> that's a that's a trade up in some ways, but a trade way, way down in other ways, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any uh, other talking points to add, Doc? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, I think we either in the summary or in our discussion touched on most of the things I wanted to say. Fair enough, then. Uh, for me, I don't have much more else to add, really. Um, I'm curious to see what happens next, of course, with um, Canoe, uh, if he is indeed going to become like his father. Because the signs are already there, and again, this is really... I don't know if this is the manga's original intent, or if this is just the work of the animes, although it obviously is going to be a bit of the two in any event. But like even then, like I said, you see the parallel. You know, you got Swain like here, like this, like... <laughs> right, yeah. Come up, boy. Oh boy. And then you've got Canute, and he's drinking wine, and you've got Canute kind of being like, the only thing he's not doing, of course, is gesturing for someone to come up to the uh, podium. But you can see the parallels he's already. He's eating the, the nuggets of meat out of the dish, mm-hmm. which is like such a King Swain thing. You know, at some point, mm-hmm. if he's getting fed them by a thin blonde girl, then you know it's the transformation has fully occurred. Yep. Yep. God, that sucks. Um, I don't want him to become his dad, man. I want him to like, like re- follow through on his ideals. Uh, well, you know. 
I think what I think what'll happen to him in the end is he won't become his dad, but he'll become a different kind of creature, if you will, mm-hmm. entirely. Uh that could end up doing awful things his own right. We will see. Um Oh I'm just so oh sorry, go on. Uh, do you no you finish and then I'll go. No, I'm done. Okay. I'm done. I just wanted to briefly actually something you were saying made me think. Um I was so happy uh when again uh Canute is talking about um giving God the finger, right? And when he says like we're going to take a, at least a step in the right direction, if nothing else. Like, I don't care. I'll become a demon and shoulder all the the sin and that's, the evil. That's a Bob Chusey for another Metal Gear Solid right. reference. I'll become, <laughs> yes, um, all the, the evils uh, that it takes uh, to, like, build the foundation for my new paradise. My, Rakuen is, I guess, the Japanese word, but, like, I just love that because, like, it is what I talked about last episode and <laughs> maybe a couple of other episodes back and just touched on this many times, I think, like, um, that building, a, like, a, the, the sort of bricks uh, that you use to lay the foundation of a new civilization are mortared together with blood and sin. With, yeah. Right? And so, like, yeah. and Canute knows that, and he's like, look, I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to, like do all the shittiness so that like other people, like he's just so tired of other people suffering needlessly. And like, again, this is something that to, to be admired, I feel like, and you just, and, and I'm not That's a, I, so. well, yes, but I, but at the same time, I was going to say, I'm not a like ends justify the means kind of guy. I think the means matter a lot. And so this is why I don't want to see him become, his dad but i know i mean that's a lot of killing that's in his in his future but like the sentiment the idea that like i canute will basically damn my soul to hell if it means that other people can be happy um is something well, i deeply it. admire right at least he's at least he's honest about <laughs> at least he's honest about it like i dig that now I know I know it's an unusual electoral position for me to say, but I am in league with the devil. Right. Yep. Satan's on my hotline. I'll protect you. I plan to I plan to win the White House with his help. No part of lying about it anymore. I don't know where that came from, but it's I me, apologize. Lucifer. He's right. <laughs> I'll be VP, baby. Lu- yeah, Lucy's gonna be the VP. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's that, but that's all from me. Um. Do you want to check in on the uh, Twitter polls? I will actually while we're here. Well, I'll do uh, it. I will. Chance. I'll refresh the polls um, before we rate the episode. So, ba-da-ba. let's see. All right, are you ready, Shadon? Mm-hmm. Here are the polls so far from this week. Go to at Water We Show on Twitter to vote. They'll be up for a week. You can vote in these now or any time throughout the week, and we'll read the final results at the beginning of next week's show. Poll number one, is Floki the salacious crumb to King Swain's Danish Jabba? So far in the early days, 80% have voted incoherent squealing, 20% say, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> the Jabba laugh. Uh, poll two, is the pasty just a calzone? 75% say, What's a pasty? And 25% say... You're all uncultured. (laughs) You're all swines, I say. Uh, What do you think of Gunnar's dance? 
50-50 split between I'd learn it if I could and I don't even move over the floss is still at 0%, unfortunately. Good. <laughs> don't, no one gets to mention flossing around here. But we're saying... Um, by which I mean, of course, dental hygiene, yes. Mm -hmm. Dancing, no. You take that shit and you But we're saying up. the floss will be usurped by Gunnar's dance. Like, it will it will be dethroned and, and <laughs> uh, shown... Uh, to be nothing more Shooting than a fraud that it is, and put out. Firing the gunner. Right. Oh, God. Um, something like that. Poll number four is the crown a spirit. Just something you made me la laugh when you said the crown isn't a spirit. So I made it a poll. Is the crown a spirit? So far, 100% say no. Okay. Before I forget, we also have two Patreon questions. Oh, to cover. yes. Uh, so the first one comes from Feowulf. Uh, Feowulf says, Do you believe King Swain when he tells Canute that he sees the crown with good intentions? Here's the thing. Um, I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to say yes because it would parallel Canute's own journey mm -hmm. as we're going through here because Canute wants to seize the crown with good intentions. So I believe so because I think that that, again, would tie into the overarching idea and themes of the story and mm -hmm. that, you know, sins of the fathers, etc. you know, cycles, so on totally. and so forth. Can we escape them? So on. Obviously, that has not then borne any fruit from that. I mean, Ascalad is a product of that. We know that much. Um, fourth and in turn is a product of that in, in itself. Can you see how this all spirals out from here? Uh, and we've also seen like all the constant warfare, the pillaging of villages and all that stuff like that, death and destruction everywhere. It, if he started with good intentions, they have ultimately become for naught. Mm -hmm. And I think that maybe it's one of those things like, like I described the, the crown before as kind of like a periscope or a, a you know, binoculars or a lens. Mm -hmm. Like, putting on a pair of glasses, when you put it on, you see things differently. And maybe once he did finally put that crown on after seizing it from his dead father's hands, well, to have gone so far to have killed him in the first place, I think is a sign enough that <clears throat> for all his good intentions, he did have to pave with blood, and maybe that's too far. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, I think you, in your eloquent answer, basically said most of the things I would have said, like... Just, Boom, yeah, stolen. you did. You, you, thunder stolen, right? Um, you know, parallel, the whole, like, it parallels Canute's journey, I think, is a key point. And, you know, like we were saying earlier, like, young, new generation is always seeing the flaws in what has been built before them and they want to change it. Yeah, like, I, I totally buy that from the king. But, like mm. you said, there's always, there always comes this point where, doesn't become about that anymore it becomes about consolidating the power structure mm -hmm. that's already present now that they're at the top of it and so as you yeah. said now the the uh good intentions have uh given way completely so to incredibly high cholesterol mm -hmm. you've seen that guy he seriously needs to get in shape you know do if he did the gunnar dance he'd lose some weight you should get you know, on that. as an aerobics program. <laughs> get get that ring fit adventure. Exactly. exactly. You can afford it. You're the king. Get ring fit adventure. I know it's expensive for us exactly. commoners. I'm not going to go pay 80 bucks for it. But you're the king of Denmark. Yeah. You totally could. You need some Botox as well. Jesus Christ. Just looking like a bulldog. Looking like four bulldogs. Yeah. <laughs> so many wrinkles. He's got, he's got, he's got jowls. He's got jowls in he his does. jowls, man. It's pretty bad. Yep. Yep. It's a look that's much okay. cuter on a puppy than a a human old man. Mm. That is that is true. That is true. 
All right, so thank you very much for that, Fairwolf. Uh, we have one more question, and this comes from Blinkaji. Uh, good old Blinkaji dropping us the questions, the hot cues as always. Uh, this one goes thusly. How do you think Thorfinn would react if he knew Floki's role in Thor's assassination? Because, oh, again, I in a nice moment of direction, something, something I forgot to point out is that there is a wonderful moment where the camera shows Thorfinn walking past Floki, and it's like parallels their viewpoints almost. Mm-hmm. And it's just there to make you remember yeah. this fucker Magic. ordered his dad killed. And they're just like that close to it and he don't even realize what a tangled web we weave indeed. Right. Um, so we think so many, like we think we know like right and wrong, right? Like Thorfinn knows Askeladd killed his dad and he knows he's at the root of it. But he really doesn't know mm. because he was paid to do it by this other asshole. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. God, so good. I am going to say that I think that Thorfinn would... I think that for him, he would do two things. He would kill Floki there and then without even any pretense of honor or jewels because it would mirror the way in which, uh, you know, he treats his father, that he wouldn't even do it himself. I think that Thorfinn trends, like, his view of the world is still very simplistic in that every action demands an equal and opposite reaction, mm-hmm. which is why he wants to duel Askeladd so severely to stick to that honor principle, even though, as I've said, it really hasn't helped him at all. I mean, it's been years now, Jesus Christ. You'd think, I, I hope that, like, Thorfinn never ends up playing, like, a really, really hard, like, Dark Souls S game. Can you imagine him, like, struggling with that for years on end? Finally, I'll beat this piece of shit. <laughs> Finally. Um, so I reckon he would at flat out just stab him in the neck there and then without any warning or anything like that. But then once that's done, I think he would still want to duel Asclad in the original way. I don't think Asclad would be off the hook, but nor would he similarly then end up killing him in the same manner as he, I reckon he would kill Floki. Yeah, yeah. I think that sounds right. Uh, he would certainly do something immediately and not just walk past him. No question. I, mm-hmm. I t- Yeah, I'm going to take like the less interesting cop-out route and just agree with you because <laughs> I, I think you got it. <laughs> Next time, let me answer first. <laughs> yes, I, I will. I will. I'll be, I'll be fair, Doc. I'm sorry. I know I treat you harshly in the, in the uh, streaming games that we play, you know, but I, maybe I shouldn't be doing that here. It's not a competition. Um, but anyway, thank you very much, uh, Blinkaji, for throwing in that wonderful patron question. It's always good to like, I, I do enjoy doing wives because I think that the degree to which we can talk about that often actually reflects on the quality of the work itself. Because if we have a very good understanding of character behaviors, we can then project in those kind of really interesting mm-hmm. ways. And while that in itself might not necessarily be criticism of the work so much as more what if fan speculation, that we can have a good idea of what we feel might happen even if we don't necessarily agree, I think speaks to how well-rounded the characters are. I am still of the opinion I wish Thorfinn got more to do. Um, and indeed, thinking on it, like, just as an aside, I actually now understand why the story the way it is. Like, I've complained before, like, about Knut's edition. But if you think about it, let's, let's look at it from Mikosu Kimura's perspective here. You're writing this, and you get to the point where the goal now of the story, which is Thorfinn's goal, is to kill Asgard. How do you stretch that out in a manga spanning X number of volumes, mm-hmm. or in the case of the anime, a full two seasons before people get frustrated? Right. I think that to me, I don't, again, I can't pretend to speak for the man here, but if I were doing this and I was operating under, uh, I don't know how planned out these manga tend to be. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. They're an ongoing thing, and how fleshed out they are is up for debate. 
But if I got to that point where I took a step back and recognized, God, this is going to, you know, be way too repetitive of, will he kill him this week? Read the next issue in Shonen Jump in a, in a week's someone's time or whatever and find out. And eventually people will lose interest. So if on a meta level, this whole Canute introduction, apart from being a convenient historical figure to use, is for that purpose to like, you know, give the series new life and move in different direction. While I still would prefer it had been planned or implemented from the beginning, as a prospective writer myself who wants to write one day, I can appreciate the fact that that was done to help give the show more energy, or rather the material, more life and get it moving in a different direction rather than just being, you know, a one-note revenge story. Not to say that films or stories can't just be entirely about revenge. Sure. But I think that length is a key factor mm -hmm. here. And with the show being as long as it is, if it had just simply been Thorfinn trying to kill him for 24 or 20 plus episodes after episode four, I, as much as I like the show, I think it would have probably bored me to tears, to be mm. quite honest. For all I complain right. about, like, all this sort of stuff happening, at least different things are happening yeah. that have kept me interested. And it's really paying off now. So, it is. good stuff to the shows, good stuff to Mikosu Kimura for doing that. Good stuff to the showrunners for doing what they've been doing with it as well. As much as I might otherwise complain, I only say that stuff because I think that there's room for improvement, but even on a really good piece of work, they, you can still do things better. Mm -hmm. And again, that's from presumption of arrogance on my part, so don't take it as gospel, folks. You may very well disagree with me and probably have very good reasons for that. And indeed, I'd like to hear it if you do. All right. I only say it so, because I love it. The only reason I know. I only say I, I'm all, I'm only harsh because I love the work. So I suppose actually we should signify our love mm -hmm. thereof with a racing for this episode. So I'm going to pass it over to Doc first. Doc, hit it. Oh boy. Uh, so I am going to give this really excellent episode. Uh, well directed, well paced, plenty of drama, edge of my seat. Lot to talk about afterwards. Got into the, you know political philosophy and what have you uh really dug it so i'm gonna give this uh 4.75 fried eggs on Askeladd's back because of his <laughs> awesome aura out of five <laughs> i i you know what that'd been quite funny if Farkel had just come in and just like started like throwing stuff on his arm and like it's a hot plate clearly <laughs> um so Buckle up, folks. Uh, I'm going to give the full 5 Ooh, out of 5, yeah. which I mean 5 out of 5 uh, badly rendered CG crowns because it was CG at one point, and by God, it looked bad. <laughs> but, CG in this stuff has never been no. great, but that's about the only niggle I really have in this episode. It was tightly written. Not a moment of it ever felt really wasted. It gave us that tense standoff with King Swain that set the chessboard up again, like after clearing the piece up. We now know the the state of the game, or if you're a Guilty Gear fan, I suppose the smell of the game. Uh -huh. Oh, um, but we now have anticipation what comes next. It continued to deliver and develop and add layers to the existing ideas that this show has got at its core in new and interesting ways, while also mingling that with character interaction, bringing back previous plot points that we had thought, you know, might not come up again, like Askeladd's mother, for example. That's still relevant. Floki, uh, the excellent direction, including how Floki and Thorfinn are in the same frame to remind you of their, as of yet, un mutually unknown uh, to each other relationship. Mm -hmm. Or indeed, as I say, that wonderful shot of the crown being used as the lens through mm -hmm. which Swain views his son. Yeah, that was There's so a lot of great stuff in this episode. The facial expressions were super detailed as well. Like, it really felt like the money was on show here. The only complaint I may potentially want to level of it, because a 5 out of 5 does not make something perfect, is that 
I kind of wish it hadn't ended with Leaf's appearance because <laughs> to me, throwing in Leaf again feels like one of those kind of cheap ways of getting someone, of getting an audience more like, ooh, he's back! Which, A, uh, it's a kind of cheap writing tactic to do that anyway. It feels very soap opery to me. Like when you get, you know, like the town murderer walk back into the pub and then it just cuts to credits. Uh, you know, we could do more than that. I'd rather decide with him arriving at the start of the next episode, which to me would have gone, oh shit, he's here, and now we're going to see things happen, as opposed to me being more cynical about it. Uh, and secondly, I must point out again, we've seen Leaf at the end of an episode before, yeah. and he disappeared <laughs> for episodes. When am I going to see him next in season two of Finland Saga when it's 2021 and I've got a nice long flowing white beard? And, you know, I'm operating out of a shed somewhere in fucking, I don't know, Brighton. <laughs> Good. I, I've, 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 yep. I've seen, I've seen. You know how this show operates. Leaf's gonna like disappear halfway around the world again, and he's just gonna never fucking find for him. Although that being said, like I say, now that Leaf is in the show again, um, we've then got that escalation of knowledge because Farkel has given him an angle on his father, but Leaf was there that day. He gets to offer that perspective that Farfin uh, is missing if they end up missing at all. So. You know, maybe there's still something to look forward to. Just wish I hadn't been quite so uh, shallow as to have him at the end of the episode for a, oh my God, he's, guess who's back? Think about the pipe. Maybe. Think about the pipe. Yeah. Did it make you think of, um, seeing Leaf, did it make you remember, like, Thorfinn as a boy? Because I haven't thought about tiny baby Thorfinn character design in a minute. No, uh, it just made me think of how the scene that he appears in plays out almost exactly the same as the last one, where there's a slave being sold and he's kind of watching it in this like little like faux like I'm not even like you know mm, don't like this kind of look. <laughs> I'm like I was getting deja vu. Deja vu is not something you should really get in that kind of sense uh, when you're looking at story. But as I say, minor of all minor quibbles, phenomenally well executed episode, both in terms of its writing and its look and its direction. Music was great. Everything clicks. Mm-hmm. And it was even funny when it was appropriate to be funny without clashing against the tone that's been set or deflating the coming threat. Gave us that moment of downtime before the big showdown that's coming in the final episodes that we have soon. Yeah, so that was uh, Bravo Vinland Saga. Well totally. done. Bravo. That was the clincher for me that made this episode really great is those like fun and sentimental moments. Like mm. everything like gosh, there were just so, like from like you know, Canute getting seen by all those people and they're going, whoa, you've changed to like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Willy Bald and Leaf appearing uh, mm. like and being really funny to like Askeladd giving the bracelet to Atlee, like all these things that are, you know, to the main plot ancillary, but like they really made the show, made yeah. the episode. Yeah. Yep. The nice flourishes on top of the actual uh, skeleton of the plot. All right. So that brings us to the end of today's stream, folks. Uh, I'm just going to point out that if you are interested in helping support the show, uh, we have a number of wonderful features coming up there. Patron exclusive. Christmas Ghibli's. We already have one out, uh, which I believe is Lapis of Princess uh, Princess in the Sky. No, nope, it's not nope, true. Nope. It's, uh, you're close. Oh, you're I've, not, close. I've not had my medicine. I've not had my medicine. Who, Let me just where does the princess pills. live? Uh, in the yeah. castle. Ding, 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 unless you, <laughs> unless you happen to be Mario, right. in which case it could be any number of castles, because yeah. that toad's a prick. Uh, but no, uh, Lapita Castle in the Sky. That's already out. If you now subscribe mm-hmm. to us for, I believe it's the three dollar tier or no, higher, no, any you will get any any patron. Any tier, yeah, two any and tier, up. Any tier, two 
$2, you know, that's enough for a pasty, but you can get yourself a nice podcast to go with it instead. I, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's true. So you can get yourself, like, you know, a nice podcast mm-hmm. instead. We've got a uh, podcast. Princess Kaguya coming out this this particular Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll also be having Princess Monoke come out before Christmas. There's going to be another uh, Christmas special, a shit sh- storm of a show that I've been alluding to for a while that will be outside. I've been delayed in getting it done, but I'm getting out for Christmas because it is Christmas themed. You can't just let the patrons have good stuff. You have to, like, give them this garbage. No, people people want to pay to watch know, me suffer, they do. So I it's, might as well deliver true. what the people... It's uh, yeah. I've even I've even said, folks, in our Discord, like, why not get Doxed for something terrible? Yeah. I was like, it's fu- and he said, and this was you, can I say? It's like, no, it's funnier when you do. I'm like, thanks, <laughs> thanks a bunch. Yeah, fucking canary in the coal mine. You I are, am. Uh, but no. Um, our patron also has a lot of other uh, wonderful features as well. You can actually request shows for us to cover. Um, and if you, for example, call our Akikin podcast, you can ask me, me, for example, to do another show in the format of that or Doc, for example. Uh-huh. Uh, you get access to our Discord. We do streaming game nights on there, things like Jackbox, uh, all sorts of great stuff. Like, that. and you can ask questions of us as well. So definitely give that a look. If you are, however, not uh, wanting to invest in us financially, uh, that is absolutely fine. We'll also accept, you know, donations in the form of YouTube subscriptions, right. Twitter follows, all that good stuff. You know, we accept that kind mm-hmm. of currency. You know, social, uh, you know, capitalism. Indeed. Were. So. Feel free, you know, to give us a like or a review, rating, subscribe on whatever service you may find us on, be it SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, etc., etc. That always helps our discoverability, and we're always open to uh, constructive feedback as well. So if you've got anything you are throwing our way about the episode and our thoughts on it, definitely do so. I'd very much like to hear that. Mm-hmm. And anyway, Doc, where can people find you on this horrible, you know, cavern of lies that is known as the internet? Mm, on uh, probably the worst corner of the cavern of lies, uh, the, the den of iniquity. Uh, known as twitter.com uh Uh-oh. you can at me at the subtle doctor no spaces no caps mm. necessary exactly and as for me uh, you can simply find me in the den of you know social iniquity known as twitter at shade and 1010 eventually they're gonna do a purge and i'm gonna claim the natural full-blown shade and name back it's gonna be mine finally <laughs> but until that point you can hit me up there and otherwise, I think that brings us to the end of this little stream of thought. We'll, of course, be back next week with episode 21 of Vinland Saga. Uh, I hope you've all enjoyed your time. Those apologies for the technical difficulties. They won't repeat themselves going forward because uh, we've now, of course, you know, moved OBS into its new home and it's going to get used to it, the little prick. Um, but otherwise, from myself, uh, from Doc, thank you very much for joining us. Have a lovely evening wherever you are in the world right now. And as we're often quite fond of saying, you know, because we're Macross fans and all that, embrace you ever, everyone. It's the end of the universe. Good night. Good night.